So come, Holy Spirit, help us open our minds, our hearts, our, our spirits to be impacted, to be changed and transformed by your word into the people you call us to be. May you be glorified, God, in this place as your word draws all to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we've been in the midst of a series of sermons dealing with the power of our words. And uh, the first week we talked about the power of our words as it relates to our everyday lives and our everyday dealings with one another. The second week we talked about the power of our words as it relates to our families. Today, we're going to be talking about religion and politics. I need y'all's prayers this morning. (laughs) Early on in my ministry, I was cautioned and warned uh, that the one thing that I should avoid in my preaching is the subject of politics. And, uh, you know, but the truth is, I realize I'm stepping out of some treacherous water this morning by talking about politics. But, you know, this is a subject today that is so polarizing um, in our culture. It is causing so much angst and division and, and hurt. But I believe God is concerned about this. I believe God has something to say to us in this part of our lives. Uh, it seems like every two years, whether, every time an election comes around, you know, whether it's the mid-time uh, season election or whether it's the uh, presidential election, it's like pulling a scab off of a wound that never heals in our nation. Every two years we, we have this uh, going through all the ugliness and the political back going on and it just to, just the, uh, the, the, the division, the thing that divide us as a nation. It just seems like it, it's reopened every two years. The words that are used in the realm of politics. You know, words have power. They can be um, words that bring healing and uh, that we use for good. Or they can be used in the realm of politics as ways to divide us, separate, polarize us as a country. And we've seen a lot of that going on. But today we're going to talk about the question, does it have to be that way? Is there a more excellent way when it comes to doing politics? Now, I know this is a subject for many people that is filled with a lot of strong feelings, a lot of, uh, a lot of strong emotions and uh, positions that people have. I mean, I, I just was perusing the uh, comments on Facebook and my gosh, every time I go through the comments on Facebook, I'm just kind of taken back. It's, it's just amazing, and it's, it's really saddening. It just saddens me what I, what I see there because it's, it's becoming really dangerous to make a post about anything for fear that it's going to be turned into a nasty political debate or argument. I was drawn to a video this week of a man who uh, po- he posted a video of his church that he started that is ministering to homeless people in his city. And it was an inspiring video to me. I just said, wow, God's doing an awesome thing there. But within the first five comments, uh, they had turned it into an ugly political debate about which political party is causing more people to be homeless. I'm thinking, really? <clears throat> you know, um, people seem to be so quick to lash out and to attack with their words that it's, we really can't have even a civil conversation or a meaningful conversation about anything anymore. Uh, with our national politics, of course, it's in gridlock. You can't get anything through Congress. Uh, and every election cycle, you have this uh, bitterness and the ugly ads, nasty, hurt talk, hurtful talk to everybody. It just divides us as a nation. But, you know, I take some solace in the fact that if you look at what else is going on in the world around us, this is not just an American problem. In fact, um, I want to show you a few clips here from what you see in a typical day in British Parliament. Take a look at the screen. 
on summing up policy in six words. Well, how about this? You are the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> You're a miserable pipsqueak of a mad dog! You know, really, you have the charisma of a damp rag and the appearance of a low-grade bank clerk. With structural reforms to make us competitive and with innovative ways of using our hard-won credibility, which we wouldn't have if we listened to the muttering idiot sitting opposite me. <laughs> it makes our politics look a little bit nicer and kinder, doesn't it? <laughs> but, you know, we're so accustomed to hearing this kind of stuff and seeing this kind of stuff that many of us have just resigned ourselves to thinking you know, it's never going to be any different. It's always going to be this way. There's really no other way. But is there? Is there a more excellent way? Well, as you've been with us in this series, we've been trying to get you to memorize a particular scripture. It comes from Paul's letter to Ephesians. And uh, again, I'd like to invite you to say this passage with me. It's, it's one that I think holds the key for what we're talking about this morning. Let's say these words together. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. So here's the question this morning. Do these words apply to politics? And if we were to really practice these words in our, our daily endeavors with each other, would, how might that change the, the debate, the discourse? How might that even change our country? Now, I've had people tell me that religion and politics really are two separate things and that the church should stay out of politics kind of like the separation of church and state. You know, we, we shouldn't be involved in politics. So people would say this verse really doesn't apply to politics. Well, what do you think? Does God say that this verse really applies to every area of our lives? But um, when it comes to politics, we can say whatever we want to say. I think we know the answer to that question. It's, it's no. And God says this rule, this, this, this idea applies to every conversation that we have with each other. Now, let me say up front, I, I don't, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have debate and argument with one another. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take a stand and for what we believe in and have vigorous debate. That's part of being a democracy. I mean, part of the beauty of a democracy is that uh, people present their positions on various issues, and then you, uh, you, people listen to that, and based on, they have, they have, based on what they hear, they make the decision of which they think is the best solution. Sometimes that's one side or it's the other, but very often it's that uh, uh, a synthesis of the best of both. I mean, this is what makes American politics work. This is how it's designed to be. And it's a great system when it works. But, of course, the problem is today it's, it's not working very well, is it? And I think there's a lot of reasons why it's not working well, and I'm going to lift up three of those reasons that I thought about this. One of the reasons that this is not working very well in our society today is because nobody is willing to listen. There's this unwillingness to listen to each other. Uh, this idea of a representative democracy, really, it only works if people are willing to listen to each other. And that's not what we're seeing happen in our society today. Uh, David Berry says this about religion, but I think it's very applicable to the subject of politics. He says, people who want to share their religious views with you almost never want you to share your views with them, right? <laughs> See, that's true in politics as well. They're eager to tell you about theirs, but uh, they don't want to hear about uh, yours. Uh, last week, we, uh, we heard a passage from James that was applied to uh, the words that we use in our family's relationship. But I think it's even more applicable when it comes to our uh, subject of politics. He says, be quick to listen, 
slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, in America, we seem to have that just the opposite, don't we? We are very slow to, to listen. We're quick to speak and quick to anger. In other words, we're not really taking the time to listen to one another. Uh, we are quick to let others know or give them a peace of mind or whatever we're thinking, but we're not willing to listen to one another. So much so that we really can't even have a civil conversation about the subject of politics because if, in the area of politics, if you suddenly hear somebody voicing an opinion that's different than yours, your blood pressure begins to boil and your mouth goes into action immediately, often not in a good way. And I think social media has uh, made that easier for us. But, you know, you say, as a pastor, church, you know, this is not an issue for us. But we're all Christians here, right? So this is really not an issue for us. <laughs> Give me a break. <clears throat> I, mean, I mean, Paul and James are writing these words to Christians, to churches that are having trouble. Eighty percent of Americans today uh, define themselves as being Christians. So this is clearly an issue that we struggle with. Here's what I've learned when it comes to listening to others. You know, like all of you, I have positions and opinions and uh, stands that I make on uh, the issues that are being debated today. I have positions just like you do. And what I found is that when I take the time to read and to listen to those who have an opposing view of mine, what I often, sometimes when I do that, I, I will listen and I'll go, wow, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> you know, that really makes sense. I, I think I agree with you. <laughs> and sometimes my, my position has changed. Other times I will say, you know, there's parts of what I hear you saying that I agree with. There's parts of it that I think we can agree upon here. And there are other times when I listen to the opposing view, it, it makes me more firm in that position that I have. But that only happens if we're willing to listen to one another. This is what makes democracy work. So an unwillingness to listen, I think, is one of the reasons why things aren't working. A second reason why things aren't working is due to a failure to see other human beings as people. It's a failure to see your opponent as being a person. Recently, there was a, a, a post that was circulating on social media of a farmer who um, he, he made a sign on the side of an 18-wheeler <clears throat> tractor-trailer that said, are you a parasite or a producer? And underneath, of course, he identified the political party that he thought was the party of the parasites. I thought that was kind of interesting. <clears throat> um, what do you want to do with a parasite? You want to get rid of it, right? You want to stamp it out. And yet, this is the kind of language that we often hear in the political realm today. We hear words that dehumanize and treat others as being less than human. And the truth is, I doubt that anybody seeing that tractor trader on the side of the road as they're passing by um, thought to themselves, wow, I don't want to be a parasite. So I'm going to change my political affiliation. I'm, you know, I'm going to change my position now because I, I want to do that. These words aren't meant to really change people's positions. They're just meant to agitate. They're meant to dehumanize and to hurt their opponent. And, and both sides are guilty of this. And I saw a bumper sticker the other day that is saying that the other political party is now the, the, uh, the new Nazi party. Are you kidding me? I mean, did you, we really know the atrocities that the Nazis committed? And you're going to liken the other political party and your neighbors to that? Now, again, so much of the language used today is not about trying to get people to hear an opposing view or to understand a different viewpoint. It's all about agitating, dehumanizing, hurting your opponent. 
I don't know about you, but I really don't think that's healthy in a democracy. I don't think it's healthy in our society at all. This is why things aren't working. You remember how Jesus said when it comes to the greatest commandment that we have to live by, he said it's really twofold. We need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then Jesus went on from there to tell a parable that demonstrated how we are to love our neighbor. He said there was a certain Democrat who was walking down the road to Jericho. And uh, he was beaten and he was robbed by some robbers and left on the side of the road to die. And uh, two other Democrats come walking down the road and they have other things more important to do, so they don't stop and help him. Uh, they, they pass on by, but a Republican comes by. And even though this guy is his political enemy, uh, he stops. He helps the guy. He cleans him up. Uh, he takes him to the hospital. He pays for his, his care. Now, before we have anybody walk out this morning, he could have said it this way. If there was a, there was a certain Republican walking down the road to Jericho, and he was accosted by robbers and beaten, and two Republicans came by, they didn't stop, and you get the picture, right? <clears throat> well, anyway, this Samaritan and this Jew were of different political parties. They were of different nationalities, and they didn't like each other at all. But Jesus says love conquered that. When the Samaritan saw this Jew laying on the side of the road, which was, was his political adversary, he didn't like him, didn't want to associate with him. He said, get their laws to associate with each other. He said, God's calling me to something different here. This is a human being laying on the side of the road in need. This is what love looks like. When we begin to see our opponent as being less than a human being, it's easy for us to talk about them or in dehumanizing, degrading ways. It really doesn't matter because they're not human after all, right? And again, I think social media has made this easier for us because it's so easy for us to post things or to forward post, um, and we don't even bother to check and see if they uh, actually are true or not. I mean, nobody takes the time to do that. But they do, they do serve our purposes to degrade our opponent, right, or other uh, people who disagree with us. Uh, here's the thing. When you forward an email or you forward a social post uh, about something, somebody else out there with all your friends and stuff, and that it's not true, and remember, about 90% of what you see on social media is not true. It may be partly true. There's parts of it that are true, but it's usually not the whole picture. Um, but when you forward something that is untrue about somebody else into the public arena, what you're really doing is you're committing slander. You are defaming another person's character by sending out something that's not really true. Would you want people doing that to you? Now, I've had people do it to me, and I can tell you, it, it, it's not pleasant. It, it actually hurts. So Jesus says, you have heard it said that it was said of those of ancient time, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you were angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. This is from the one before whom we're all going to stand in judgment one day. The one whom a couple of weeks ago we learned, he said, you will be held accountable for every reckless word that you say. So here Jesus is trying to make the point that this is important. We have the power with our words to do terrible things. But as his followers, we are not to do this. Now, as I said, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to, to uh, have a strongly held opinion about things. It's okay to, 
to uh, have a vigorous debate and to take a stand. I mean, use social media for that. You know, make a post and then put a link uh, to the information on which you're basing that argument. It's, uh, make a statement there about what you feel strongly about and why you think the other position is wrong and why this matters to you. I mean, these are things we should do. This, this brings facts to the, to the conversation and the debate. But when you go to the point and you start insulting, you start dehumanizing, tearing others down, and that's where we need to draw the line. Here's what I always try to remember when it comes to this subject. You know, in this church family, this congregation this morning, we have people on all political sides of the aisle. We've got Democrats, we've got Republicans here, Independents, and everything in between probably. And yet these are the same people that um, you worship with. These are the same people that you break bread with and take Holy Communion with. These are the same people that you pray for when they're sick and who pray for you when you're sick. These are the same people that you sit next to in Sunday school classes or in Bible studies. And we need to remember that. Because, you know, it's really hard for me to say terrible things about the other, per- the other side when I remember that I'm probably going to be sitting next to some of them on Sunday morning, right? Or at least it should be, something that makes a difference for us. And... We need to remember that. I, I know people also make the comments, I hear this all the time, you know, all politicians are crooks. I know that's not true. I'm friends with a lot of politicians. You know, I've had politicians in my church. I, I worship with them. I've been friends with them. We've gone out to eat together. We, we know one another closely. I've known governors and councilmen and, and mayors and uh, representatives and I, uh, uh, senators and have been in churches. And, you know, I wouldn't consider any of them to be a crook. Now, I don't always agree with their political stances about things, but I, I do know that they are all are earnestly believing in their heart that they're doing the right thing and they're trying to make a positive difference. I'm not saying that all politicians are that way, but at least all the ones that I have known are. I have a, a friend who is a mayor. Um, he's an African-American mayor, and he actually was a member of the church that I was at before I, I moved here. And he and his wife, we're still very close friends. But being a black mayor in a, in a predominantly white city, he has been um, subject to a lot of criticism, a lot of hurtful and painful insults. And I can remember many times where he and his wife just, just wept. <laughs> they were so devastated, hurt by the things that were being said that were not true about them. Now, politicians seem to be fair game today <laughs> when it comes to conversation. But we need to remember these are people. They're human beings with families and with feelings. And so are the people who are on the opposite side of the political aisle from you that live in your neighborhood, even in your church. So we disagree. We debate. We stand up for those things that we believe in. But when it comes to talking about other people, we need to follow this rule here that we've learned. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building up as there is need so that your words might give grace to all who hear. So we're not supposed to let evil talk come out of our mouth, but how do we bring our faith to bear on politics? Can you really integrate those? I really think we can. I think there's several things that we can, that our, that our faith can bring to us in this, this realm. And um, the first is that our faith can bring perspective to politics. And we often think of politics being everything. It's the end all and the be all about everything. But we as Christians should know better than that. 
there's other things. And our faith helps us to put politics in their proper perspective. Because Christians, we recognize that we are citizens of two kingdoms. We are citizens of the United States. You know, the United States is a temporary kingdom. It's not going to be around forever. But we are also citizens of the kingdom of God. And our ultimate allegiance is to the king of kings. And so our aim as Christians is to bring the perspective of God's kingdom to whatever it is we're dealing with here on this earth. Whatever it is right now that uh, has you all hot and bothered and there your politics, uh, you know, whatever issue that is, there's going to be another issue next week and another one 20 years from now. Uh, The political party who's in office right now is going to be voted out. That's going to change and then that's going to change again. I mean, leaders change over time. Uh, our, Our views and positions change over time. We, we just have to remember that this is all really just politics. I know it's important, but it's not the most important thing. And our faith helps us to put the most important thing first in its proper place. I think, secondly, the world around us would have us buy into the idea that it's really all about me. Life is all about me. It's, it's really all about me. It's what, what will meet my needs. What's in it for me? Uh, what are you, you going to do for me? Those are the, often what you hear in, in the discussions of politics. But our faith reminds us that it's not all about me. Our faith says to us, it's, we have to take into consideration what matters to others as well. In his book, <clears throat> the relevance of religion, how faithful people can change politics. He's a retired senator. He's also an Episcopal priest. Uh, you may remember his name in, 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 as a senator, Jack Danforth. But he writes these words. He says, the concept of virtue is putting the public interest above private interest. But right now, politics has become really exclusive, exclusively about pandering to people's self-interest. So what can I get out of it? How can I get the most benefits and pay the lowest taxes? Has become the be-all and end-all of politics. And what religion can offer, which is really unique, is the love commandment. It's not that we're going to become selfless people. We're, we're not. But there's always the standard of the cross that faithful people can offer to politics. You see, part of the goal for us as Christians is to become increasingly selfless increasingly less selfish and over time. The Greek word for love in the New Testament is agape. And you remember it talks, this is a, a sacrificial love. It's a, it's a selfless love, kind of love that considers the needs of the others before ourselves. As Danforth said, it is the love commandment, loving God, loving our neighbor. And it is the cross, that example of sacrificial love that is the defining hallmark of who we are as Christians. So our faith causes us to always ask the question, well, what's in the best interest of the whole country, not just me? What's in the best interest of others? We are to practice the love commandment. The third thing that I think our faith can bring to politics is faith can help us tear down walls. Politics seems to erect walls that separate us from our even family, uh, friends, neighbors. They separate us over these issues. Whereas faith can tear down those walls. And again, I think this is part of the blessing of being a part of the church. Here we are together this morning in this place, and we have people on all, Democrats, Republicans, and everything in between uh, here. 
but we can worship together. We can break bread together. We can have communion together. We can pray together. We can study the Bible and God's word together. Our unity is not found in our, our common political ideology. It is found in our love and our commitment to follow Jesus Christ. That's where our unity comes from. And being exposed to people who have differing views on our own, it's a good thing for us. I mean, when you spend time getting to know one another and you're in a class together and you learn to see this other person as a human being, it does something to you. It helps you to see each other as part of the body of Christ and you're able to, to deal with the issues without feeling like you've got to tear down the other person in the process. One congressman told me, he, I, I know him personally, and he said that it used to be that after debating on Capitol Hill, the uh, Democrats and Republicans would leave the debate on Capitol Hill, and they would go out to restaurants, and they would eat together. And they, would, they would talk together. They, they became friends. They'd spend time together. They got to know each other's family and stuff. He says, you don't hardly ever see that anymore. Democrats go their way. Republicans do their thing. He says there's very little effort spent nowadays on coming together and tearing down walls. In the church, we try to model something different, a different way. And we come here together and we realize something happens when we can spend time with one another in our diversity. We begin to see each other as human beings, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that changes everything. Paul said this, he said, In Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. He could have said there is neither Democrat or Republican. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Our faith helps us to tear down the walls that sometimes politics erects. And that leads us, I think, to our scripture lesson for this morning. Here you have Paul. He's in Ephesus. He's on his third missionary journey. And someone brings him a letter from a church in Corinth, a church he started on his second missionary journey. And the letter indicates that this church is in trouble. And here's Paul's response. He says, now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in an agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Paulus, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. And then he goes on for the next 12 chapters trying to explain to them why they should not be doing this. Then he finally gets to chapter 13. You know this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter. And Paul gives them the answer for what it takes to not have these kind of divisions among themselves, to overcome this. It's not that they weren't going to disagree with each other. I mean, disagreeing with each other is inevitable. But he says, here's how we should do this. Now, believe it or not, Paul did not write these words because we needed another good scripture to read at weddings. Uh, he wrote these words because there was a church that was in turmoil. They were divided. They were over many issues, and they were saying ugly things to each other, and they were cutting each other down. And just it was, a, it was an ugly situation. That's why they appealed to Paul. And Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way to handle this. Let's read together what he says. You see these words up here on the screen in a moment. But as you read these words together, I want you to reflect upon how these words might relate to the subject of politics. I will show you a still more excellent way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It hears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But let me ask you, when it comes to politics, are you kind? Are you um, patient? Are you um, avoiding being resentful, envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude? Do you insist on your own way in this area of politics? Are you irritable? Do you rejoice when something bad happens to the other side of the other side of the political aisle to somebody? I want to end with this story this morning. It's about a woman who worked in the White House for 24 years. Her name is uh, Emma Daniel Gray. And in 2009, at the age of 95, she passed away. But for 24 years, she worked in the White House. And her job was to clean the Oval Office. She cleaned other areas too. But her big job was to clean the Oval Office. Here's a picture of her as she's shaking the hand of her, who was then her boss. Um, And... Starting in 1955, she worked under six different presidents. And she was a Christian. And she tells how after cleaning the Oval Office, every night before she turned out the lights, she would go around behind the desk where the chair was, and she would lay her hands on the back of the chair. And she said, I would pray for the man who held that office. And her prayer was, Lord, bless the man who sits here. He needs your help. Please guide him. Lead him. Bring good things into his life. Take care of him, I pray. And she said, I didn't vote for all those presidents that I served under. She said, some of them I didn't like. But she says, I prayed for every one of them. I made it my daily discipline to go behind that desk, lay my hands on the chair, and pray for each and every one of those presidents, that God would lead them and that God would bless them. She looked at those presidents as what they could be with God's help. I think this is what love looks like in the area of politics. It's a determination to hope for the best for the person who is holding that office or any other political office. It is to pray and it is the hope that God will lead them and do good things through them and God will be blessing their life in positive ways. I think if we could have that mindset... When it comes to politics, we could truly change the tone of politics in this country. Some of you may feel like, it just seems hopeless right now. It's such a mess, it just really seems hopeless. But here's the thing, it begins with you and me, each one of us. It begins here with us and understanding the power of our words. In fact, I believe the key for Changing the climate of politics is found in this verse that we've been learning and trying to memorize here. So we're going to say it once again as a way to remember that this is what God calls us to. This is who God calls us to be. Let's say these words together. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is meant for building up. There is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Let's pray together. 
Oh God, we ask you to forgive us for the times when we have not practiced love. Forgive us for the times when we have failed to listen, when we fail to see others as human beings, fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. Forgive us for the times we've worked to build up walls instead of tearing them down. Help us. Help us to take the time to study and to truly learn about the issues, to listen to one another in the area of politics. Help us to pray for those and wish the best for those who are elected. And in all of our conversations and all of our deliberations, God, help us to use our words to build one another up as there is need, to offer grace so that all might hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.